They want me to get rid of my dog. Can they do that? I'm being fined for leaving my garage door open too long. What are covenants? Do I have any rights? Help, I feel like I've left the American zone. If you want the answers to those questions, join me, Shu Bartholomew, and my guests on The Commons every Saturday from 2 to 3 right here on WBR Fairfax Radio. We'll ask the experts and we'll untangle the truth about what's left of our property rights. On the Commons is a weekly radio show dedicated to discussing the many issues surrounding mandatory membership homeowners associations. Join us as we explore this relatively new world of controlled living, which includes condominiums, cooperatives, and both attached and detached single-family homes. Living in a common ownership development means giving up the American dream. It means giving up your constitutional rights and control over your most valuable asset, your home. Living in a homeowners association means leaving the American zone. This is On the Commons, and I am Shu Bartholomew. Radio Fairfax, and joining me today on the show, we have Jill Schweitzer from Scottsdale, Arizona. Jill is a real estate broker, and she has some concerns about having to sell HOAs, units in HOAs, and she's written some incredibly good stuff, and she's also done some studies, and so we're going to talk to Jill a little bit about all of the work she's done on that. Jill, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Shu. You sell the you you sell units in associations, whether they're condominiums or homeowners associations, and you have some heartburn and some qualms about what you're selling, right? Yes. You want to tell us why? Well, I've always I've always told my buyers when they buy in HOAs to look at to make sure to be involved in their HOA, get on their board, stay involved. But then, since I bought and learned. Uh, a lot more about HOAs in the last couple of years. There should be a lot more dis- disclosure that has to do with, like, the reserve study. Uh, a buyer should be pointed in the right direction on looking at that reserve study, if one exists for an HOA, looking at the percent funded that the community is, look at if they've been following the reserve study and making the repairs that are necessary, if they're following the savings plan that is recommended on the reserve study. The reserve study is at a minimum of what the HOA should be doing. For the HOA I bought into, the reserve study is about three years old. It was only 16% funded. Instead of saving 106000 a month they, or a year, they were only saving about 13000 a year the last five years. And they weren't making any capital improvements for eight years. So we're way less than 16% funded. And even me as a realtor, I did not know the importance of that reserve study until I got involved in the HOA here. You know, it's funny because some years ago when there had been some hurricanes, in, especially in Hawaii, a lot of condos had been hit really badly and the associations had not made the repairs. Homeowners were not living in their units because they were not habitable. They were still making their mortgage payments. They were still making their um, having to pay their condo fees and then having to live someplace else. And I remember at the time reading an article that said, you you know, you've got to, there's a quick and dirty, a thumbnail sketch as to how well the association's being managed. 
And it was put up, I think, by CAI. I called them a couple of years later because I couldn't find that study. I couldn't find that quick and dirty because what you're talking about is going through and actually sitting down and and making sure that you're getting correct information from the association and then doing the math to figure out whether or not they're, you know, they're fully funded, whether they're making the maintenance. But there was the quick and dirty, and when I called them, they said, why are you even worried about that? We can always have a special assessment. So basically the message was associations, you really don't have to do anything. Just keep going the way you're going, and if you run into problems, then there's always the special assessment. Right, and that leaves it open for whoever owned in in that condo that just sold to get a free pass. They don't have to pay for anything, and the new buyers are the ones that get stuck putting the bill for all of the neglected maintenance, mismanagement of the funds, and planning for future repairs. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's a really bad, bad plan. It's a housing concept that, in my opinion, has failed. And I don't know how we're going to fix I mean, I don't know if it's even worth fixing. I, I don't think so. But um, I know that you have other ideas. You um, Now, one of the things we're always told, Jill, is that HOAs protect property values, but you've kind of debunked that one a little bit. Tell us about the study you did using actual MLS data. I went in the MLS and I pulled up a handful of condos around my area within about a two-mile circle, and I, I compared 2004 prices with 2014 prices. And I was actually amazed to see the difference in the price per square foot of the properties. They ranged from increasing, the highest one increased $49 a square foot. But then there are others that the value is like $3 less per square foot than it was 10 years ago. How one can go up $49 a square foot and one is actually decreased in value from 10 years ago as probably a direct correlation to the condition of that property. The one that went up $49, I found out from one of the owners that they actually had a $10,000 assessment. And the community looks absolutely beautiful. So a $10,000 special assessment. Yes. So overall, the unit was worth 100000 in 10 years. How much would, would it have gone up? I mean, if, if it only went up $10,000, you need to deduct that $10,000 from the increase, right? if you're going to make sure that it's being taken care of? Because you're paying for the ongoing maintenance. Yes. And if it's not being done, and then you have to pay a a special assessment to get it up to where it should be, you haven't really gained anything, have you? Exactly. The the one that went up about $49, that one approximately went up about $68,000 in value. $68,000? Yes. Okay. And then if I if I use a, the same example with 1,400 square feet, it went down $3. Or let's just say it stayed equal. Or actually, I, I'm trying to do math while I'm on the phone. <laughs> so am I here. And we know, we know how well my math worked out, right? Look, I'll, I'll <laughs> the easy way. Um, if, it, if a property went up $3 in value at 1,400 square feet, it only went up $4,200. But yet the other one went up $68,000. And there's a correlation there between the condition of that property and how it's been managed the last 10 years. And how old are the properties, Jill? Average? Uh, average. About 30 years old. They're all about 30? 
I'm sorry, would you say that again? On the other comparison I did, I included details such as how old the units were, and most of the properties were built in the early 80s. And, okay, in the early 80s? Yes, the early 80s. So when you sell these properties, I, does anyone ever ask you how well they're doing or what the odds are of their increasing in value? A lot of times buyers want to know if their property is going to go up in value, but that's like a crystal ball, I, I can't say for sure what property is going to go up in value or if, it, if it's going to go down in value. That's true. But you've, but you've provided some guidelines for people to sit down and actually get the information. How easy is it to get reserve studies, which are supposed to be done annually, or are they? There is no law that makes them mandatory in Arizona. I think in some states they do have that law. I think it should be mandatory in all states to have reserve studies done in HOAs. It's much more important to look at the HOA than how much your dues are every month. Because that's part of the qualifying process. Yes, and, and you know, on my one report, it, I compared how much the dues have increased in the last 10 years. One only went up $35 in 10 years, and then there's another one that went up $161 in a 10-year period. Just because what you're paying today for your dues is not a good decision on which property you buy. One may have higher dues, but their reserve study might be fully funded or 80% funded. If you buy one with lower dues that has a reserve study that's, like in my case, 16% funded, that's a, that the writing's on the wall. There's going to be a special assessment. But it's politically suicidal for any board member to say, hey, we're going to have to come in here and we're going to raise dues because what we're collecting is not keeping up with what what we're doing here. And nobody wants to increase the dues. I mean, nobody wants to pay additional dues and nobody wants to charge additional dues. And there's this this notion that if the dues are too high, nobody's going to buy in there, right? There, There is, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's why... And there's a point where, like, I think for my HOA, we're, we're at a, we're high, but we're not too high to, to keep buyers from buying here. However, there are so many repairs that need to be done that I believe are affecting the value of our properties that we should just do a flat-out assessment to fix the property. And based on that report I did, our values will go up enough to offset that, say, $10,000 assessment. So you're advocating a $10,000 special assessment to bring the property up to par? Yes, and I have pointed out that the problem that we have is not only is it due to homeowners not being involved for the last eight or nine years and watching what the board was doing, how they were spending the money, but the the old board, many of them are still involved on the current board, made decisions because I believe what you said, they didn't want the dues to go up. So they, they let it continue the way it did. And, and actually, the funny thing is, in this situation, they did raise the dues most years, but for some reason, that money wasn't saved. Three out of the last, between 2008 and 2012, three of those five years, they actually lost money. They didn't save a penny. Why is that, do you know? I looked at all of the records, and 
uh, one of the old board members says, I'm a liar, and I not uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I looked at the records, and I evaluated the spending. The, the board was overpaying for a lot of the contracting. They only used one roofer for bids for seven years. When I discovered that, I called them out on uh, the two bids that came in. One of the bids, it, it was to fix a gutter problem, but they wanted to tear off part of a roof. So a, a $1,500 estimate became under 300 The other one was $2,400. We got other bids, and it was only 1200 Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. A $50, did you say a $50 estimate became how much? Oh, $1,500 estimate became under 300 so they char- so they paid fifteen hundred dollars for something that actually could have cost them three hundred. Well, we stopped it because I said the homeowners want multiple bids. This is wrong. They were only getting one bid from one roofer, and when I caught that, there were two active bids that hadn't been approved yet. So I said, let's stop right here, get more bids, and I was able to get bids that showed that that company was overcharging us. Because one of those bids was to fix, someone had like a waterfall over their front door. So they said we had to go in and replace that part of the roof. The other roofers that looked at it said, it's not the roof, it's just a gutter issue. That's a handyman issue. That's going to be under $300. Well, needless to say that for seven years, that was the contractor they were using without multiple bids. And the interesting thing is as soon as we started getting uh, using other roofers, for the last two years, we haven't had nearly as many roof repairs as we did for that seven-year period. <laughs> really? So so basically you're saying that they probably either weren't fixing fixing things or maybe were creating additional problems down the road? It could be it could be a coincidence. I have no idea. It's just that I I noted that as a big difference from that point forward. Okay, so that's a, that's a really good point that people don't normally get these bids. There's also a lot of kickbacks that go on. We all know this. This is not, you know, I'm I'm just not making this up, where a management company will just continuously hire the same contractors, and the contractors will kick back a certain amount. And that's going to cost the homeowners a lot of extra money that they don't need to be paying out, right? Yes, and I I can't accuse anyone of doing kickbacks, and I can't prove anything. No, but I mean, we you you can go online and you can do the research and you can find where a lot, a lot, a lot of HOAs have been paying because there's been money embezzled, there's been kickbacks involved. I mean, these these are things that have been discovered, they've been proven, they've been written about, they're on the table. We're not maliciously accusing anyone, but it's just part and parcel of the HOA concept. Yeah, and one thing I noticed with homeowners is they think, I'm just paying 233 a month, I don't really care, I just want my you know condo taken care of, and, and they don't think about the big picture. The big picture is you figure out how much money all of the homeowners put into that HOA every year. If it's $280,000, that's your money. That's your money that you want to make sure it gets spent wisely. You have to look at the big picture. And and when they are only using one roofer and getting one bid and overpaying for repairs and not saving any money, eventually you are going to suffer the damages of, of all of those years of, of bad actions. Just think about what you said, Jill. We advertise 
HOAs as carefree living, especially condominiums. People say, oh, I'm going to move into a condominium and I'm going to let someone else take care of all the problems. All I have to do is just move in. But the fact is that you can't just move in and let someone else take care of it. We're discussing the problems that come up that arise from just sitting back and letting someone else take care of it, right? Right. And so it needs to be advertised as if you buy in here, you're going to have to go to the meetings. You're going to have to make sure you get copies of all the paperwork. You're going to have to provide some adult supervision because God knows the local municipality is going to mandate these things, but they're not going to do a damn thing to help you when you're being robbed blind. So you've got when, to do it. When, and this is, the, this is the fun part is I thought... And I assumed that the management company was licensed and regulated. I thought, okay, we've got a good, well-known company. They're protecting the homeowners. They're probably doing everything right. Everything's good. I lived here for a year, and then I decided to get on the board to look and make sure everything was going well. And that's when I discovered they're not even licensed or regulated. And the management company, not only do they handle our approximately 280000 a year, they handle the money for HOAs. I think they... 24% of the uh, homes are in HOAs in the United States. They bring in $65 million or billion dollars of yeah. dues every year. So these unlicensed companies, unregulated, handle all of that money. And when I watch the news and they talk about embezzlement, there was one case here where they were reimbursing a president for baby wipes. Uh, or in Arizona, they were reimbursing him for invoices out of New Jersey. Oh, right? really? <laughs> Yeah, and I emailed the reporter and I said, I want to know why you missed the most important question on the interview. Why didn't you ask the management company why they continued to reimburse the president for, re for invoices that were clearly not HOA related? So how could, wait homeowner, a minute, it's in Arizona and they're being reimbursed in New Jersey? Invoices from New Jersey. For baby wipes. Um, the baby wipes I think they bought here in Arizona, but there were other receipts from New Jersey. It, okay, now that requires people to sit down and go through every invoice. And believe me, I've done that, but it's not something that you can do all the time. You can't be in there every week looking at all the invoices, and that's what it's going to take. Well, see, that's where I, I thought that the management company should be the gatekeeper on that money. The management company should say, no, this is not an HOA invoice. We're not going to reimburse you for this. But I, I personally believe that they don't want to piss off the board and deny reimbursing those charges that were requested because if they do, the, the board will fire them and hire someone else. So if the, all of these things were put in a newsletter or on the webpage, the association webpage, so that you could go in anytime you wanted to and check and see what your dues are covering, do you think it would make a difference? 100%. We don't have, since we don't have a management company that watches for us, we need to watch for ourselves. And because of the technology, how much easier it is, is it than to just put it on the website so that homeowners can look and see what's being paid, why it's being paid, whose condo is getting their interior fit. Everybody should know what's going on. And people don't want to, they, well, people don't want to believe that 
the president had a, a roof leak and got $2,800 worth of repairs done within a two-month period. His problem was fixed and no questions asked. He didn't have to put it on his own insurance. But yet there's another homeowner that has a hole in her living room wall for eight or nine months already. She had the city of Scottsdale come out. They issued a fine and uh, required the HOA to address the issue, which they just covered it up and didn't fix the, the actual work yet. It, and then there's a question if, if the board is going to make her be held responsible to pay for this repair. And it's been nine months, which I call bullshit on it because the president had the same type of issue and got his stuff fixed a few years ago within a couple months. No questions asked, no problems. Yet she is still struggling. And that's the kind of thing that can turn into a lawsuit that is going to cost every homeowner in here money. Wow, so it's selective repairs. They, If they like you, they'll make the repairs, and if they don't like you, forget it. It makes you think that. I mean, I don't understand why they don't treat people the same. Well, because it's human nature, favoritism. They like one person. They don't like another person. One person is going to make life miserable for them, so they'll just go ahead and do it to get that person off their backs. Somebody else is going to be very easygoing and not push, and so they'll just let that one slide. You know, that's that's the whole problem, Jill. That's the whole problem. It allows, the system allows for this disparity. The system just encourages it in a way. And this is and this is why people need to watch what's going on because I'm watching and if if those homeowners end up having to resort to filing a lawsuit, which I do not want, I do not want my HOA sued. But if they resort to filing a lawsuit and anybody can check the court records at any time and see if their HOA is involved in lawsuits. And if I see this one's in a lawsuit, I am going to do a petition to remove the board so that a new board can come on and fix the situation so it doesn't balloon into a huge special assessment to cover court fees on a case that we lose because the board failed to handle a situation appropriately. Was there an attempt to remove the board? We we actually tried to recall a board member last August. What happened? Uh, they just wouldn't hold a meeting. They, they said that uh, we didn't have enough petitions of eligible to vote people, and and then finally they held a meeting to remove her in January, but by then it was so close to the annual election, most people said, never mind, you know, I'll just vote in March. And then, and then weeks before the March election, the board said, oh, we found a 1998 bylaw change, and um, we're supposed to have some members with two-year terms, some with three-year terms. Let's draw sticks out of a hat. And they gave themselves longer terms, so there was only one spot available in March to elect. Because it's a new year, we can do the petition process again. It's just that I think the homeowners here are sick of petitions. The, the board tried to do a petition to remove me due to a lawsuit um, that had to do with that recall election. Uh, she wouldn't resign from the board unless I did, rather than let the HOA go to trial and, and tie up our HOA for 10 months with an outstanding lawsuit and cost HOA money probably in the end. I went ahead and resigned so that she would resign. But if this board creates a lawsuit... I think that that will be justification for the homeowners to want to to do another petition. How often do you do you have meetings, association meetings? See, I, in a, in my association, when I was on the board twenty some years ago, we had what we called homeowner meetings every single month, 
It was open to the homeowners. It was, you know, we heard from the homeowners. They had as much time to address the board, to discuss the issues, to provide us with input, to volunteer to help to work things out. Then, yeah. then, then we went more to CAI, and all of a sudden we went from homeowner meetings to board meetings where the homeowners are not allowed to talk, and you know they've got they've got to sign up, pre-sign up, and all that. So it sort of took it away from the homeowners and put it more into the board, you know, board hands. And now it's a much more them against us as opposed to everybody being. Working together, see the difference. Yes, I I don't think it, I think that there's many boards that probably do a good job, but the ones that are not don't want homeowners to go to meetings. Oh boy, tell me about it. And then they complain. They say, "Where have you been? You don't come to meetings." I go to every single meeting. I videotape the meetings. I'm not allowed to post them on YouTube or show anybody. Why not? Oh, they made they made a rule that I'm not allowed to. Uh, can they can they make that rule? Jill, I don't think they can make that rule. Well, they can make reasonable rules on videotaping meetings. Yeah, that's so that you don't disrupt the meeting. They want me to. They want no one to see the video that I take. Is that reasonable? I'd have to get an attorney and fight them on that. What about um, does in Virginia it says that you can record the meeting? Period. And that's odd. And when I asked initially, it was audio record. Um, when I asked the legislator who proposed changing, uh, removing all of that, I said, "What's the legislative intent be- behind your amendment?" And she said, "We're just you can record the meeting any way you want using technology available today." or technology we don't even know about that might come along in, you know, 10 years, five years, two days. We don't want to come back and have to give it to you piecemeal. So it's it's there. Now, the board can prevent you from disrupting the meeting. I mean, if you brought in a big van with big cameras and moved things and people and, you know, started uh, driving around these, these automatic um trolleys basically to get a good view they can say hey wait a minute you can't do that because you are disrupting the meeting but if you're sitting at your seat with a small cell phone and or or a small handheld camera they can't stop you right and i've been recording them for the last i think six months and does it say anywhere in the law that you cannot put that up someplace it doesn't say that in the law but if I wanted to fight them on my not, sh- you know, their rule that I can't share that video with anyone, I would have to get an attorney and fight them. Or if I post it, they're going to use the HOA money to pay the HOA attorney to come after me for doing it. My guess is that they don't have the authority to adopt that rule. That's just my guess. I'm not an attorney, and I'm not, you know, I'm not in Arizona, but. My guess is they don't have that authority because contrary to popular opinion, boards can't do anything and everything they want to do. There are limits. There are restrictions. I don't have any rights, though. Like at the last meeting, 
just towards the end of the meeting, I gave them a copy of the law stating about open meetings and executive meetings and what must be covered during open session. Not even five minutes later, they're discussing the the one issue where the homeowner has the hole in her, their living room ceiling, uh, the living room wall, and all of a sudden, one of the board members says, "We'll handle. We'll talk about this during executive." So I pointed out that's not an executive session topic. She told me to shut my mouth for five minutes. Can you just shut your mouth for five minutes? They they adjourn the meeting and discuss it during executive. But I have no rights to to change that unless I want to get an attorney. I'm not so sure. Um, I know that right now it may seem like you, you need an attorney, but you do have rights. And if I don't know what the law says in Arizona, Joe. I really don't. Um, but it would seem to me that you would have the right because you're enforcing. I mean, they're in violation. You're, it's supposed to be open. You're supposed to have some sunshine. It's supposed to be. And what they're doing is in violation. But, we're talking to Jill Schweitzer. Jill is a broker in Arizona who has been dealing with HOAs, first of all, the condo she lives in, and also selling the units to other people in the Valley. And um, there's, some, there's some issues she's run into, a lot, of, a lot of problems, not just in her association but one of the greatest things she's done is she's debunked this notion that an HOA protects property values in a lot of respects it can absolutely it can actually devalue your property and so stop buying everything that you're told you made some you you wrote this paper that you sent to and you wrote several things Jill and I sat there reading it. Um, you also talked about having the, the manage, management company was bringing a cop to shut people up, homeowners up. Yes. The management company. Well, as far as, from what I know, that the board didn't make a mutual decision to hire a cop. So it was probably between one one or two board members in the management company to have a cop at the meetings. What did the cop do? Uh, once the board member told me to shut my mouth for five minutes, uh, he, he stood up and said, uh, excuse me, it's time for me to introduce myself. Uh, APM, hi or, oops, the management company hires me to adjourn the meeting so that it, before it gets to handcuffs, and uh, he adjourned the meeting. Does he have a right to a cop? And this is a real cop and not a rent-a-cop. Correct. Not, not a little boy running around in a, in a costume that you, you know, you see all over the place. This is a real police officer. Yes, and uh, I believe that we've had, he's the third one we've had in the last six months. I believe we pay them individually, um, not through their department, but I believe the checks are run out directly to the cops. And uh, I'm not sure yet if their department gave them permission to do the work. And from what I've been told, they do not have permission to work outside their scope, which would be running a meeting. So, 
So they're off duty. So they're off duty real police officers. Yes. Are they allowed to? Are they allowed to um, perform the duties of a police officer when they're off duty and in in the community? I've been told. I, I was told that they need to have approval from their department. I haven't um, researched that yet, but I was going to uh, double check on that because I don't think it's right. If for one, if they're profiting outside of work, I think that they have to have permission. I think that they're supposed to be paid through their department, and I don't think that they're supposed to be running meetings. Well, no, I don't think they should be running homeowner association meetings either or condominium association meetings at all. One of the points you made was that, and, and again, you've got some serious problems in your particular, in your own association. And in order to make some changes, you're going to need the members to vote to make the changes. But the other point you made out was you made in some of the writing was that homeowners are are um, being disqualified from voting. They, you know, that you owe money, you uh, haven't, you know, you left your front door open for five minutes longer. Your dog weighs two pounds more than it should. Whatever the reason, they're coming up with these nonsense things and finding that you are not eligible to vote which means that only the people that will vote the way the board wants them to vote will be allowed to vote, right? Right. The, a- the, the attorney actually, I'll, I'll tell you, the attorney actually said that the board can make their own decision. <clears throat> we hired him for his expert legal advice. And when we were dealing with that recall petition last August, the question was, is it 25% of the total membership or 25% of those entitled to vote? The statute says of those entitled to vote. But the attorney let them use whichever one they wanted, and I knew exactly which one they would want. They wanted to use the total number of the membership so that they could invalidate that vote. But he, what happened was, is I, I pointed out to him after the fact that he ignored the definition of entitled to vote in the bylaws, which is those that are uh, not delinquent and their dues. So the petition was legal and valid. However, he let them do what they wanted to do, which was use a, a loose definition of of the law to just say, "Well, we, you don't have enough. You don't have enough petitions, so it's not going to go through. We're not holding a meeting." So the homeowners decide this board. This board is not representing them. It's not taking care of their assets. It's not doing everything the board should be doing, and the members get together and decide we're going to recall the board. It was, um, at that point, it was just one board member. Okay. But, you know, whatever the deal is, I mean, it may be that I we did, we talked to someone in Florida who's um, facing losing his house because they're fining him $100 a day because he had an unapproved object in his flower pot, you know, the board sat around, the management company sat around. Apparently, they had nothing better to do than to come up with flower pot rules, right? And, sure. and if you're in violation of their sacred flower pot rules, 
then you could lose your house. I mean, there's a serious problem with with this whole concept. But let's say that your association decided that they were going to come up with flower pot rules. And the homeowner said, no, wait a minute. You people have gone beyond the realm of stupidity. I mean, what you're doing is totally asinine. We will not subject ourselves to that lunacy. We want you gone. And we want the management company gone. We're paying for it. We are the bosses over here. So we're going to get together and we're going to decide how we're going to handle this. And now you've got the attorney coming along and saying, hey, wait a minute, Jill, you can't do that because it's not, you know. We're going to decide who can vote and who's who's eligible to vote and whose uh, vote is going to count, right? Right. The other thing that you talked about that absolutely fascinated me was you got a letter from the law firm that represents your association that you pay a retainer to, right? Yes. And you... Go on. Oh, go ahead. And you asked them to do something and force some part of the um, management contract or sue the the manager, and what was the response? I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? What was the response when you asked them to sue the management company? I, I didn't ask anyone to sue the management company. In the letter that you sent me, they said, for some reason, the, um, the attorneys told you in a letter that they do not sue management companies, period? Oh, yes. Our old management company uh, overpaid on an insurance claim. Uh, we have some missing invoices for a two-year period, 80 missing invoices. And we also had um, late fees that weren't charged so frequently over a seven-year period. It, it totaled quite a bit of money. I'm estimating around 10000 When I asked the manage- when I asked the HOA attorney uh, for advice on how to go about getting some, some damages reimbursed to the HOA for that, he said, we don't sue management companies. He told you that, but he also put it in writing, right? Yes, he did. And the reason for that is? Well, they're, they're friends, and they give them a lot of business, so they choose to not sue them. So the association hires the, man, the law firm, right? Yep. The association pays the law firm. Right. The association has a problem with the management company. And the, and the, and the law firm says, oops, we don't sue associ- we don't sue management companies. Sorry, association. You're out. How is that for upholding a standard of care and service from the management company to the HOA when the HOA attorney and that management company know that that relationship exists for almost 10 years? And, and so there, I discovered an issue. And the point you made in something you wrote was that they all belong to the same 
the same trade associations, whether it's the, I, I'm assuming it's the Arizona Management Company or uh, Association of Managers? Arizona um, Association of Community Managers, yes. And then CAI, and we don't need to, we, we all know what that stands for, Community Associations Institute. And that's, so you've got management companies and attorneys who belong to both of these groups, and they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be working for the homeowners. Yeah, and when, you know, and actually it took me a while to, to really grasp and comprehend just how detrimental that relationship is to the HOA. We should hire an attorney that represents us 100%, an attorney that's going to watch out for us to, to make sure that that management company does a good job for us. There's a hell of a conflict of interest in everything associated with associations. And I think you pointed that out. I mean, I hadn't thought about it, but I was reading that this morning, and I'm going, whoa. Because I'd never heard of an attorney refuse to, refusing to, uh, to handle a, a case against an, a management company. But you're absolutely correct. They're all in the same trade association. Right, and I, I did look online, and I couldn't find... I can't search... I cannot search in general uh, with specific parameters, but I cannot find any cases where the big HOA attorneys have sued management companies in the Valley. And then I, I actually went online last weekend and I found a CAI attorney article that is giving advice to management companies on how to protect themselves from lawsuits from HOAs Put indemnification in your contract, etc. And I thought to myself, why is this attorney who represents HOAs writing an article to help protect management companies against HOAs? Why is she not writing an article or an addendum for HOAs to use to protect themselves regarding the management company? Some people have called homeowners ATMs for the industry. And you can see exactly how that's working out right now. Did you say ATM? ATM, yeah. What is the that? Automatic teller machines where you go in and get money. Oh, you that just, makes sense. You just, you know, put in your PIN number and it spits out money for you. So we're the ATMs. The homeowners are the ATMs for the HOA industry. They handle $65 billion a year without any oversight and with minimal homeowners watching what's going on. Jill? Can we can can we determine or is there any way of figuring out whether our properties have increased sixty five billion dollars on an annual basis collectively across the nation? Because that's what it's costing us. If it's not making money for us, it is taking away from our values, right? Yes. Um. I I don't know how I could only do. A uh, small, small-scale stuff. Um, I could look at a small percentage of condos in this area. I could take that little list I made and make it a little bit bigger and figure out the difference between how much these condos have put into that H their HOAs over the 10 years and compare it to what their value increases and decreases were over the last 10 years 
and figure out how much money that is in comparison to how much they've paid in dues. You would be doing an amazing thing. You've got a website where you've got all this information, right? Yes, HOAsavers.com. And so if you go to HOAsavers.com, you will be able to see all of these matrices that she's done. And see, I, I think it's interesting that you've used the value per square foot. I think it's interesting that you've also included the uh, fees, the, the fees that have been paid. Because people don't think about that. You know, most people think we're going to go in, we're going to buy this condo, we're going to carefree living, I'm just going to walk in, close the door, turn on the TV, you know, have a cup of tea, whatever, and not worry about what goes on behind my door. And, and honestly, I think part of homeowners, I think part of the problem is that the homeowners think, well, there's a professional management company handling this. They're the gatekeeper of our money. They're going to make sure that the board's doing the right thing. If the property is self-managed, I think the homeowner's more likely to look and make sure that is doing the right thing. And there's a there's that false sense of security knowing that there's a professional management company. But homeowners need to start looking. I think as these properties continue to age, there's going to be more and more news about HOAs that are faced with these huge assessments, 6000 10000 15000 In the homeowners, there's one in Colorado where I watched their, they had two meetings so far on it, and they aired it online. And the homeowners were shocked that the, there's this $15,000 assessment they're facing, but the reality is, is every homeowner should, if they don't have a reserve study, make their HOA get one. If they have one, look at it, and then they're going to see it coming, and they can take precautions now to minimize the damages because the longer the excessive spending goes on, the ATM machine is going on, the more, the more uh, damages there will be. That assessment's going to be higher. I think one of the things that you said was just spot on, and that is that there's no competitive bidding. You know, we'll just get uh, Cousin Julio to come in here and fix the roof year after year after year after year. There's no one out there saying, you know, what do you think the problem is? What do you think? You know, you, there's no second opinion. There's no, can we fix it? Uh, would it make sense to put money into fixing it, or would it? Would we be further ahead by replacing the entire roof you know how much does it cost us on an annual basis and as you pointed out it was a gutter problem it wasn't really the roof problem but yet you all that money had gone into into doing that it's very complicated it's very complex Jill most people don't don't understand that right and, and the board don't a lot of times like our board doesn't want to get bids they think that's just the, the management company's job is to get the bids well, I asked for bids on one lady has a rotted beam outside her patio, and I asked for bids on that in May a year ago. We never got multiple bids on it. She finally called the city of Scottsdale after a year, and the city of Scottsdale made the board fix it. So how come the city of Scottsdale is getting involved in holes in the wall and beams and, and all of that? I guess they will if it's a safety issue or a structural issue. So but it is, wanna... Okay, so it, it is kind of a, stru a structural complaint? 
Yes. Okay. And I mean, that did finally get fixed, but why did she have to wait a year? And why did she have to beg? And why didn't the management company give me three bids for it a year ago? And when I was on the board, I always would get my own bids. And what happened when I, when I first got on the board and started getting bids, I realized very quickly that the bidding process wasn't being done right and that the prices I was getting were always about 25 to 50% less than the bids that were gotten by the management company. So over, I think there were about five projects where it totaled that I saved the HOA $40,000. And, and that, was when, that was an early indicator there were problems here. So the the management company never got bids? Well, I know they didn't, would only get one bid on rooftops. But, and also with that old company, the board let them spend up to $1,000 with one bid. One bid, if it's $1,000 or less, they can only get, they only had to get one bid. When I got to be president temporarily, we lowered it to 300 Now it's back, it's up to 600 Every dollar we save, saves our HOA money. And it, it's not that difficult to get bids. You were chastised for getting bids? Did I read that correctly? Actually, I was. I, I walked around the property. I made a list of some of the of the repairs that needed to be done, some rotted fascia beams. And and I at the meeting, I remember uh, one of the board members said, did this homeowner call that in? I said, no, why should they have to? If we can walk around and see that something needs done, why aren't we fixing it? Just fix it. I got a, a roofer that came out here. She was uh, He was recommended by another property management company that I had spoken with. He came out here and gave a bid for... I think eight repair jobs for $5,500. We were lucky those got done because since I've been off the board, we haven't gotten very much done here. So most managers and board members will walk around clipboard in hand looking for homeowner violations. You actually went around doing what I think you should have been doing, which is looking to see what needed to be repaired by the association, by the condominium, and giving the list to the management company, right? Right. And yeah. getting and them I, fixed. And, and as a board member, you have a fiduciary duty to get at least one bid yourself. Boards should always get at least one bid themselves. That keeps the bids honest and clean. And I like that. I never thought about that, but I do like that. Yeah, and one, the, the one homeowner that had the rotted beam on her porch for a year asking for it to be fixed, she also had an issue with her landscaping by her condo, which there was a time when the board told the, na- the landscapers not to even go over there because she would go out there and yell at them. So they weren't, they were told not to maintain her area. In defense of her, I, in, in defense of her and because the board was failing to take action, which they should have done for the CCRs, I didn't tell her to sue the HOA. I don't want our HOA sued. I told her to speak to them in the terms of you had a legal obligation to make this repair for the CCRs. And it took the city to actually get that being fixed. And I haven't seen her lately, so I don't know how her landscaping is going. But one of the neighbors actually called the um, police on her for yelling at the landscapers. Yeah, I saw that. I'm really pleased to see that at least the city of Scottsdale is doing something for its tax dollars because usually they'll say it's a civil case. You just go right ahead and... Hire an attorney and take care of it yourself. But uh, the city is actually getting involved. Jill, we're, we're out of time, but 
I really want to thank you for coming on. I really want to thank you for sending me all this stuff and for making me realize that there was so much more that I had not even considered. Um, I think the conflict of interest, I'd never heard of a law firm saying, hey, we don't sue management companies. That's big. That's huge. And I think yeah. that that underscores, you know, uh, that underscores all the problems we're having. Yeah, and all, and you know, when I started this, I thought it was just a problem with one board member. And then when I really got into this, I realized it's the whole industry. There's a problem with that whole industry. And so I figure every person I tell, management companies not licensed, they're not regulated. You need to watch what's going on your HOA. Look at the big picture. Look at how much money you all put in every year. Make sure that money's spent right. The more I can do to help protect HOAs and protect homeowners from getting huge special assessments out of the blue that they don't expect, I think the better people are going to be. And I've also, I'm also trying to help educate realtors on that too so that they know how they can help their buyers with better consultation when they when they actually buy. Let's look at the reserve study. This is this is the reality. It's only 16% funded. You're at high risk of a special assessment. You may still want to buy the condo, but the thing is is you're not going to have any big surprises. You're going to know. You're going to know walking in that that's going to be in your future. So, I think that um, I think we need more brokers and realtors like you, Jill. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shu. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Please check out our website at onthecommons.us. On the Commons is produced by OTC Multimedia Productions. Well, I finally bought my dream home to enjoy retirement life. I've made new friends and buddies, lots of parties for my wife. It seemed that life was perfect, all my neighbors felt the same. Then along came death by CCRs, life's over, I'm fair game. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell Why our dream home should remind us We bought a one-way ticket to hell Now there's lots of open meetings Close to Justice 4HO Those arrogant board members Say what they want you to know the C-A-I and U-L-I will help you lose it all But I wouldn't sell that dream home yet The writing's on the wall Those petty rules and regulations It's enough to make you cry They're full of woes, no pink flamingos Someone tell us why Slick managers and lawyers Slither close, but they won't tell why our dream home should remind us We bought a one-way ticket to hell Well, we're not afraid or stupid All your threats mean nothing here Time marches on, soon you'll be gone United, we'll be there So put your rules and CCRs up where the sun don't shine 
And enjoy those precious golden years Stop messing around with mine Those petty rules and regulations It's enough to make you cry They're full of woes No pink flamingos Someone tell us why Slick managers and lawyers Slither close but they won't tell Why our dream home should remind us We bought a one-way ticket to hell why a dream home should remind us We bought a one-way ticket to hell